if you have your Bibles or devices, also put a thumb in or a digital bookmark into Matthew chapter 6. We are going to read or recite the Lord's Prayer together uh, from the ESV. The Bibles here uh, are in the ESV version, so you can grab one of those at any point. And if you'd like a hard copy, if you don't have one, and we will recite the Lord's Prayer together from the ESV. Each version is slightly different, and maybe the way uh, you have learned it for some or even put it to memory uh, has a few different words in it. So doing it all together helps that we're on the same version. We'll close the service Uh, or the message portion of the service with that collective prayer as we lead into our sung prayers together today. Continuing this uh, less than a sermon series, but more of a, hopefully, an encouragement to discipleship. What happens next? We spent two years journeying through uh, the gospel according to Mark, a large part of that in in our field church under the tents. And we desired to be a church without walls and had a very And we still do. That's still a vision of ours. We had a very tangible expression of that in field church. Uh, But the the metaphor continues, that we want to be a church, a people that aren't bound by walls, that one, welcome all in, that all who would like to draw near or are drawing near to Jesus are welcome, and that we are people that see beyond ourselves, not just our location. Certainly we want to see, see beyond the hill, so to speak, and into our broader communities to serve, to love, to give, many ways that we do that but to see even beyond ourselves into the places God sends us, has planted us uh, in in our fields uh, throughout the week, that we would see others as he does, because he sent us to be missionaries, to go and proclaim the good news to all nations, as we heard heard read. And yet, first, we're invited to wait. This is a regular rhythm, the going and the waiting, the going and the waiting. This series of what happens next is is less of a question, because that's a question that our world has been asking, that we maybe continue to ask day by day, but this is a statement for us when we know our history, and may our history become our reality. That's our hope, that this is our God. Our God is a God who is present with his people, as we've been reminded today, and is at work leading us into a future where he already stands. We don't only know that by faith, we know it by our history and believing what God has done will happen again. What has been will happen again. The disciples, which we can resonate with in that moment of, of following his crucifixion before he has appeared to them, they are divided. They've now scattered. They are discouraged, downcast, the word says. Imagine that. I mean, Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah to come and deliver and, and make all things right. And now he's, he's in a tomb, so they think. They're downcast. What, what will they do now? They're confused. They're uncertain. Uh, they're doubting, doubting the promises, doubting the, the time they were with him, doubting that he would rise again, though he had promised that. And if it's at that point, at that moment of, the, of that low season or time of their life that Jesus appears, though they're not looking for him, he comes to them. And so we pray the same thing. While we are going through our daily rhythms, on the road, so to speak, not even looking for you, maybe discouraged or downcast, maybe divided, that Jesus would appear to us, would come and pursue us. There are times, there are moments, this being one of them, that we intentionally come to seek God together. May he draw near to us abundantly. May he do it in in a way that we are not even expecting, but may we grow in anticipation that this is our story This is our reality. What has been will happen again. 
in this story recorded in Luke 24 and then Acts 1 and 2 by the same author, Luke. That continues the story where Mark cuts off abruptly. This continues the journey of those first disciples. And I'm inviting us to immerse ourselves in that story that it would become our reality as well. Let's talk about waiting. I think most of us have an adverse relationship or reaction to waiting. And maybe these last couple years have have tested that to the extreme, have uh, tested our perseverance, our resolve, maybe to the breaking point, waiting for a pandemic to end without any date ever being circled on the calendar, and there won't be one. Sometimes it's easier to wait even in hard seasons when there is an end date circled. But when it's unknown and uncertain, it can be very wearying. Some of us in the midst of that, while that is a collective shared waiting, uh, for life to get back to normal or to be what it was, once was, when we recognize in reality it will not, our world has changed and shifted, as it always does, but seems to be microwaved in these past couple years of change and of shifting. In the midst of that, some of you are waiting also for something else to return or be restored or a new, a, a new something, a new job, a new opportunity, restored health, a strengthened marriage, a reconciled relationship, the list goes on. Uh, some of us are waiting for more trivial things like a Mariner's World Series or this sermon to be over, and some things will leave us waiting forever. What if we're waiting for the wrong things? What if we're not meant to wait for things lost and past to return as much as we are meant to wait for new things to come? for renewal, for restoration, not recovery, for God to bring new life. That seems to be what our God does. What if we're waiting in the wrong way? We can passively wait, blindly, just hoping things will work out or get better. That's what we often do. It's what the first disciples seem to be doing, though they probably would have described it as shock or their current experience, not as waiting but they were waiting for something to happen, something to make sense of what they had just experienced and what was yet to come. But they were not waiting with a hope. They were not waiting for the promises that Jesus had said to them to be fulfilled. So this is what happens. We are meant to wait actively, not with a blind hope, but with this promised hope of what we know, who our God is, what he's done, and what he has promised to do again Back to Luke 24, verse 45. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them what was written, reminding them again that the Christ would suffer and rise and be risen on the third day. That repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem and that they would be the witnesses of that. We know he had made those promises to them multiple times while with them those previous few years. And yet the amazing thing that we looked at more closely last week is Jesus said in all of the scriptures, referring to, at that point to the Hebrew scriptures, by saying Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he was referring to the totality of the Hebrew scriptures. And he said, it wasn't just the, my promise to you of what would happen to me and I would rise again. It was all of scripture has proclaimed this was coming. If you had truly seen and known the scriptures, you would have believed. So there was some rebuke in that, but also an invitation to walk with hope, to have eyes open, to search the scriptures for Jesus. 
Continuing into verse 50 of Luke 24. When Jesus led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Luke describes it with a little more detail in Acts 1, the ascension. Then the disciples worshipped him. That then is very important. Their best friend, their Messiah, the one they were coming to believe in as God and redeemer of all things has just left them. Not through the grave this time, but through the clouds, but with a sense of finality. Until his return, it's at this moment that they worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy, staying continually in the temple praising God. Their uncertainty and unknowing of the coming days and how the promise would be fulfilled, would the promise be fulfilled, was still not clear, and yet their response is worship, is joy, and is togetherness with devotion. Amazing. What if our, if our waiting was joyful, not dismal, active, not passive, it's only possible if we believe the promises of Jesus and the invitation to wait. We might be in a season of extended waiting for the promise of the Spirit to breathe new life and renewal into his church. And we pray, may it be sooner than later, Lord. But would our hearts resonate with that waiting and longing but rather than discouragement or doubt, a response of joy, of expectation, and even excitement that our God seems to be the one who at the lowest moments shows up in miraculous ways. At the, with, for the last and the least likely ones, when there's just a few gathered and waiting and crying out to him, striving to live lives of faithfulness, of devotion, of love, of justice, of service, of mercy, being counter-cultural to the narrative of the world. What if our waiting was like that? Imagine you're on a, on a flight and you know there's communication happening between the pilot and the air traffic control. Matt, maybe some of you have been in that cockpit or you know pilots. Now imagine that a pilot says, am I clear for takeoff? And here's from the air traffic control, no, hold, wait, with a sense of urgency from that controller. Is the pilot annoyed, frustrated? Does he roll his eyes? Does he say back to air traffic control, hey, it looks clear to me, I'm going. <laughs> It'll be foolish. He's grateful. He trusts the view, the perspective of another with other tools, with other sight for his good and the good of the community with him. And he readies himself for the clear, all clear. We on the flight might be annoyed and frustrated by the delay, but the pilot is grateful that there's another with clearer vision, keeping safe. From his perspective, all looks clear. But from another perspective, there was some form of not readiness or danger. 
a simple analogy. Sometimes we respond to the urgency of the Spirit speaking to us or the Lord speaking to us, wait, hold, with annoyance, with frustration, with, from my perspective, it's a go. There's a right time to go and a right time to wait. In Acts 1, as the story continues, Jesus again says to his disciples, wait, as he had said at the end of Luke 24, wait in Jerusalem for the promise spirit is coming. In Acts 1 verse 4, while still staying with them, he orders them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. See, before you leave, see, he had already said maybe the most famous words that the evangelical church has held on to for its history, rightfully so, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always. He's already said that. Here he is in Acts 1 saying, don't go. That's the go mission. This is the don't go mission. And they actually go hand in hand. This is not just our history. It's meant to be the model of the way we as disciples live and follow to him. We have the commission. We have the go mission. Today, this week, we will be sent ones. We will go into the nations one way or another. That's where we live. If you walk out of your house or are in this community at all, you are among the nations. You are meant to be light in the darkness, salt to the earth, in even the smallest ways. But if God's people collectively expand his kingdom in even the smallest ways, it's transformative. He will do the multiplication. He will bring the harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. That's his work. That's his promise. So we have the go mission. How are we doing in our day-to-day -day rhythms of the don't go mission? The wait upon the Holy Spirit mission. Because until we are, receive and are empowered and are certain of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, then we go in our own strength. And Jesus says it's essential that you wait upon the filling of the Spirit. Now for them, it was the first time the Spirit descended. We don't need another Pentecost. We're not trying to recreate that. That is our history. We remember, we celebrate. But our reality must be daily waiting, seeking upon the filling of the Spirit. That we would be reminded daily of our need for him with us to engage his go mission. Wait upon the Spirit. Now because they had that promise, though they were uncertain what it would look like, when exactly it would come, Jesus had said, not too long from now, they believed him. That impacted the way that they waited, certainly. They believed in the promise. It should impact the way that we wait day by day, individually, the way that we wait corporately. Because again, this promise was given corporately to the disciples, which is why they were together. The Spirit will come upon you, plural, together. So they were continually devoted to gathering together daily because God was doing a work amongst a family, a kingdom. Certainly, he fills individuals as well, but this was a promise for the community. The new church would be born. No doubt, as they waited day by day, they continued some of the same rhythms. They were praising God. They were worshiping. They were filled with joy and expectation. 
Certainly they searched the scriptures. He had opened up their eyes, maybe in a whole new way, to see him on every page of the Hebrew scriptures. And so they were searching for more of Jesus in the scriptures. Certainly they were praying together as he had taught them to pray. Amazingly, I think, probably the most convicting for me, and I think for us, because I, I believe most of you, if you're in a time of waiting, of, of needing Jesus to show up, the spirit to come, an answer to be given, a healing to come, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are likely walking through rhythms of searching the scriptures, meditating upon them, praying, continuing to try to learn how to pray and be devoted to prayer. But I wonder if what we see in these disciples is often absent for us individually and maybe corporately, that they were joy-filled, they were together continually, and they worshiped. Sometimes those things are absent in times of hardship for us, uncertainty, joy, worship, and togetherness. We give in to discouragement, depression, despair, rather than joy. We become isolated. We withdraw from community. And we stop worshiping. We don't know how even. The Spirit and the Word is inviting us, urging us to walk with faithfulness because God is with us. He has not abandoned us. And His Spirit will come in renewal. That's His promise, always and forever. May it be, again, as the first disciples experienced Pentecost, may we experience His Spirit in a new way for a new season and a new day. Yes, for Union Hill Church. Yes, for His church around this region, gathered now in this moment, worshiping Him, seeking Him. May we have a collective unity to wait upon him, to choose joy, to choose togetherness, to choose worship. Luke 24, 52, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. There Jesus had just left. The only joy they could have was believing in his promise. He's conquered the grave. He's risen. We've seen him. We've communed with him. We've eaten with him. We've touched his scars. He is living. And he has promised to return. And until then, the Spirit will come upon us in power. That's how they could have great joy and praise God. Do we believe it? Today. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, there they were all together in one place. They had not wavered. Remember, they still don't grasp the fullness of what has taken place. Their theology is just starting to come together. Light bulbs are going on day by day. Oh, remember when Jesus said that? Now it makes sense. Like day by day that was becoming clear. Our theology is more robust than theirs was at the time. But our joy isn't. Our hope isn't. Our faith isn't. How is that possible? We lost sight 
of Jesus and the Spirit. It may be as simple for, for them as it must be for us. Jesus said, wait, we'll wait. Jesus said the Spirit will come, that we need him. We're going to believe that. We're going to be faithful to wait upon him, and we're going to pray. They believed Jesus when he said, this is John 16, 7, that I referenced earlier. Jesus promises, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Who or what could be greater than Jesus? And I think we, we practically live, I believe I do most of the time, without consciously, but if I put it into conscious terms, okay, if Jesus were alive and living in the flesh today, wherever, wherever he chose to be, I feel like it's having, it's being scared in home as a child with no parents, and it's like, all of a sudden, you know dad is in the room upstairs. If Jesus was here, let alone, hopefully, he's, he's podcasting, he's preaching, he's meeting with world leaders. Maybe I, maybe I don't get, and you don't get any, too much one-on-one time. I don't know what his world tour looks like. But if he's doing that kind of work, that feels better to the world. That feels better to me. I, I, I like that thought. On one hand, it's a good thought because that is the picture that we have of his eternal kingdom where our king reigns here on earth, that all things are made new. So that's a good desire. But Jesus said it is better that he is seated at the right hand of the Father than continuing to walk this earth preaching, teaching, healing, how is that better from Jesus' perspective? Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of power that raised him from the dead is now with his church everywhere at once in and through his individual believers and followers and in a unique, powerful way through his collective believers whenever they assemble. Jesus says that's to your advantage. Do we believe that? The Spirit has come. Will we become more aware of his manifest presence with us? May it be. That's the season of waiting and longing that I believe we are in. I believe our world is in. It's in this critical moment, this liminal moment, where it seems like we have one foot in the past hoping to have one foot in the future and not quite certain what that's going to look like. So may our history again become our reality. This is what happens next. Always God's people actively waiting for the filling and empowering of the Spirit day by day to fulfill the go mission that he has called us to. Would our posture be humility, hope, joy, togetherness, and worship? The Apostle Paul urges us collectively, individually, this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and following, it'll read in the English text, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to the church, right? He's writing to the broader church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what's lost in, in, in our Greek, Greek has such an amazing way to communicate that we lose in, in our English endings. We would actually need to 
add some words to clarify this verb. When, when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, what would make more sense to us, though it's not the way we speak in English, would be being filled with the Spirit. Continually be being filled with the Spirit. That's our call. And speak to one another with psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs. I think that's just a way that Paul is saying, sing. sing. And as you sing, you're singing to one another as well. You're singing encouragement. You're singing prayers for the community. Of course, unto God for his glory, but God is glorified in the edification of his children. We are singing to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. If that's not a be joyful, I don't know what is. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For everything. For all of his good and perfect gifts. And even in the midst of hard things, somehow rejoicing because they too teach us. Grow us, challenge us, stretch us, invite us to grow in faith. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's the togetherness. Submit to one another. To honor Christ, we build up one another. Waiting on the empowering of the Spirit for a fresh filling, for renewal, maybe one of the most important things we ever do as a church. And of course, as a preacher, we are rebuked to be cautious with superlatives. But I think I'm in good company. I've quoted from some of these, these men before who you have probably heard of. Billy Graham, the greatest need, using a superlative, the greatest need today is for men and women who know Jesus Christ as Savior to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, we are sinning against God. It's a pretty bold statement, Billy. Late, great Billy Graham. Andrew Murray over a hundred years ago, said the one thing needful for the church, the thing which above all others people ought everywhere to seek with one accord and with their whole heart is to be filled with the Spirit of God. John Stott, fairly respected pastor, writer, theologian from across the pond. Whenever one looks in the church Wherever one looks in the church today, there is an evident need for a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. And we certainly could go on and on. These are quotes from half a century to a century ago. If these men were living today, what would they say to the church? What would they write? Would there not be greater urgency in their call to us? Are we truly hungry for the Holy Spirit in a new way? I don't know if we are. I don't know if the church is. When was the last time you fasted intentionally for a day? Jesus expects us to fast. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who do it for show, but when you fast, Go through your daily rhythms. He expects a, a fasting practice. And everyone in the room just got uncomfortable with this suggestion. Now certainly there's 
There's medical reasons and health reasons that many have that I'm, I'm not addressing. But if you're healthy and you're well, which many of us are, when was the last time that you fasted? Not just skipped a meal, but intentionally for a day. Sun up to sun down. So many of our neighbors regularly practice disciplines of fasting, and they count it a joy and a privilege. Jesus expects us to, to follow in this practice. Does it make you holier? No, I don't think so. But there is something about fasting that puts you acutely in tune with hunger. We don't like it. It's always upon our mind. It's hard to be distracted from our hunger. Our body's urging us to eat, to be well. That's natural. Fasting, amongst many other things, this is not a sermon on fasting, but amongst many other things, reminds us of our hunger and should make us pray, Spirit, do I hunger for you like this? My body is crying out to be filled. And for all of us, we can fill it in a moment. Our fridges and pantries are full. Food is readily available for most of us. Do I hunger spiritually for you anywhere close to my body, naturally yearning to be filled with food? Lord, help me. Help us. Perhaps we need that reminder. Perhaps if we are asking the question, are we hungry for the Spirit today? Do we need him or will we like him? Do we hope that he will come or will we do nothing else until he does come? Do we hungry, hunger for, for God, for the spirit and for Jesus? I don't know. These disciples were hungry. They were longing. They believed. They were expectant. They were eager they were joy-filled. They were actively waiting. They believed that the most important thing they could do, because Jesus said it, was to wait upon him, to wait for the coming of the Spirit. And I think it's one of the things that the church does today, from time to time. And this is what I'm wrestling with in this season, individually and on behalf of you. How long, O oh Lord? Is this just one of the things we do? We'll do it for a season and we'll move on. Or is this the only important thing that we must do? Teach us, Lord. Show us. Make us a people who are hungry and thirsty. Because when I look into the world, and I hope you would agree, as a follower of Jesus, if we are not hungry for the Holy Spirit's renewal, empowering for Jesus to show up, what will it take? I want that call to go to the whole church. And I believe there's many faithful preaching that message. I'm bringing that to you, church, of whom I am one. Will we be a people who are hungry and thirsty for more of God's spirit, who wait upon him day by day, who learn the rhythm of the don't go mission with the go mission, because that is our call. Back to Psalm 9, 7. And we'll close with this, with a prayer from A.W. Tozer that I've read and prayed a couple times already for us, and then the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. So again, be ready with that. 
Psalm 9-7, the Lord reigns forever. He's established his throne for judgment, for justice. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Are we here seeking him today? prayer from A.W. Tozer, because I think we need this prayer. Again, decades ago, decades ago, 70 years, how applicable for today. That's the prophetic voice when something stands through time, through decades, through generations. Oh God, I've tasted thy goodness. It has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more, and yet I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, you're the triune God. I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and to follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered for so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you recite the Lord's Prayer? This is again from the ESV. So it has debts and debtors. And let's add the ending that the church throughout the centuries has added for yours or for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. That's not in Matthew 6, but the church has added it as a refrain. Would you say it with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.